0: Welcome to the Tim Kick Podcast. Today we've got a new guest that is Zach Amiko. Is that how I pronounced it right? Nope, you got it right. Excellent stuff. Cool beans. Before we get into it, I've just got to say, um, just got to give a shout out to our sponsors. Our sponsors are Rune, runesilk.com um, and they're a bird care company and the other one is tenga.co.uk and they're a uh, adult toy company, sex toy company. Uh, and if you use the um, code tin biscuit capital t capital b you get 10 percent your first order so i'll put all the information in the descriptions so that's cool um well thanks for coming on i know you're super busy in that um you're a podcaster you're a filmmaker you're a film actor you do everything um, yeah i tend to run the gamut you do and um, you've got a podcast zach amico's midnight spook show that's on gas digital network yeah, I have um, three shows on Gas Digital right now. I do a show called uh,
1: The Real Ass Podcast with my hetero life mate Lewis J Gomez. Monday, Wednesday, Wednesdays and Fridays. Then I do Zach Miko's Midnight Spook Show, midnights on Fridays. And then I'm part of a wrestling program called Catalyst Wrestling that airs Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. on Gas, and it's also on uh, the Fight Network uh, and uh, Fight TV in the UK.
0: Oh, wicked stuff! How so, let's talk about the podcast first. How will I, did you get into podcasting? And then then we'll move on to the horror. Uh, I originally got into... So,
1: I've been doing comedy for 11 years. And I was originally approached to, I think, be like a producer-type character on what would become the Real Ass Podcast. And I was the first guest on the pilot. And then Lewis just kept having me back on as the guest. Until I became co-host. Uh, so I've been with that show for,
0: Jesus, I want to say uh, six years, six, seven years now. Oh, that's, yeah, six years is a good thing. I just started my podcast in 2018. So it's like, it's like a long haul, isn't it, to get guests and like everything on. Yeah, I, remember, I mean, we've been doing the show so long that our first, one of
1: our first guests was Pete Davidson, and after the show, we went outside to smoke a blunt and he was trying to figure out what his three impressions were going to be for his SNL audition.
0: <laughs> which which ones did he pick?
1: I have oh. no idea.
0: <laughs> uh, Bored guy
1: who laughs uh, at the jokes that are on the cardboard in front of him, I think, was the one he went
0: with. <laughs> so apart from your podcast on Gaswick Digital, um network you also a filmmaker and that's for trauma yeah i've been with trauma entertainment for the better part of a
1: decade uh and i have the illustrious title of associate director on three of their features and that's kind of like um an assistant director is more scheduling and yelling at people associate director is a term trauma's made up which is a little more creative control so I'm essentially directing all the scenes with a lot of extras. Uh, I'm running the rehearsals. It's kind of the uh, the duties are split because our director, Lloyd, is also executive producer of the
0: films. So I help him with some of the creative side. How did you get into working with like, an independent company like Troma? Because their films are wacky. They're like B-movie-ish. Um, I think the last one I saw was Poultry Goosey. Is it Poultry Goose? Uh, po- in- pol- poultry Geist. That's it, Yeah.
1: Uh, so, I actually have been obsessed with trauma movies since I'm like 12, 13 years old. I am 33 now. And I had made a few movies in college uh, that were essentially just tributes to trauma. Uh, I made a movie called Schizoid Sluts from Planet Fucktard, and then a sequel called Franken Sluts. And I had just mailed them to trauma as, like, hey, I made these movies. I don't know what to do with them, but. Maybe you guys will like them. And they asked me about interning, and they brought me in a few days a week to kind of um, help run, like, promo stuff, do office work, uh, you know, real bottom basement shit. But then right away, they started letting me write stuff and help with interviews and help with creative stuff. I left for a little while when I started comedy, and then they started putting out auditions for what would become Return to Newcomb High Volumes 1 and 2 sequel to the class of Newcomb High and uh, I went in and auditioned and wound up getting the part and hired for second assistant director and then managed to slime my way up to, to uh, associate director
0: that's yeah that's that's really cool um how do you think the films that Troma do compared to some of the other independent horror films I, I mean like so sort of, Trauma is very distinctive in its style it's, it's very sometimes slapstick sometimes gory sometimes funny and sometimes horrific how like do you think it compares to stuff like other independent companies are trying to put out there
1: um i think we have the benefit of having a built-in audience and that when you see trauma on it you know what you're gonna get so if you don't like it at this point that's on you for watching it uh because <laughs> you know what we make. and yeah. the way i describe it when we have Uh, a lot of what we call actor persons. We don't use the term extras because nobody's extra. Everybody's an important part of the set on a trauma movie. Uh, When people haven't seen a trauma movie, I kind of describe it as a living cartoon. And the rules of physics and society do not necessarily (laughs) apply.
0: Everything's out the window. Yeah,
1: so you you can do it. Sometimes it's very grounded and gritty and real, and sometimes it's wild and makes no sense. Uh, but we are, and this is just based on years of hanging out with our director, Lloyd Kaufman, now, very grounded in the like Buster Keaton world of slapstick. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's actually the kind of movies we make. Uh, yeah, we make like old timey comedy movies, but we just also have mutants and breasts and blood. Um, I think uh, Peter Jackson got it in Dead Alive, uh, but he just did it in a much more profitable way where he understood that it's a living cartoon and to go as far as possible and see what you can get out of it.
0: Yeah, because his first film was Bad Taste, wasn't it, Peter Jackson? And, like, yes. that was a brilliant film. I, like, sort of was still at school. I saw nothing like it. And it was, like, Derek who, like, held his brain back in with a belt. He, and then he did bring out Dead and Alive, didn't he, with the, like, infamous yeah. lawnmower scene. So, like, if you like that stuff, you will like some sort of trome stuff as well, won't you?
1: Yeah, I would say it's that, but with a lot more um, young, naked
0: people. Yeah. Um, how like, how did you get into horror? Because, like, you do your Midnight Spook Show, and your last one you did was House of the Thousand Corpses. Uh, how did you get into the whole horror genre of, like, films? I think I have a pretty similar story to a lot of people my age.
1: Uh, I'm 33, and here in... A, America, we had uh, the USA channel, and they would show horror movies late at night, especially in October, and I want to say I just literally saw Halloween, on Halloween night, on cable, and there was something about it that made me, uh, I was terrified, I was young, I was probably eight or nine, I think I had seen Chucky before that, uh, Child's Play, and uh, just really fell in love with it right away. Uh, by the time I was in like 6th, 7th grade, that's all I thought about. I would go to horror conventions, save up all my money to meet all the actors and actresses and get autographed 8x10s. It was just, uh,
0: it went from a genre to a lifestyle choice very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I sort of can remember, I'm like 41, and I can remember I liked horror films. The first horror films that I can distinctly remember watching is The Fog and Salem's Lot. Both of them scared the life out of me. The bit in Salem's Lot was where the vampire came tapping at his window. Yeah, that terrifying scene. Still to this day, it scares me. That film. Um, and the fog. I say both those movies really hold up. Yeah, definitely. Especially and like especially the knock with the, like the fog. Just mm-hmm. that knock because it's so atmospheric, and it's so scary. And the film I really wanted to see when I was at school that was the buzz thing was like The Exorcist. And that does genuinely scare me today. It's like yeah, a scary I film. What um,
1: what kind of uh, accelerated my love of horror was I had a crush on a girl who was probably two or three years older than me, and she <laughs> liked horror movies. So I just was I was watching everything I could just so I had a, an excuse to talk to her. like I I remember going to her house to watch The Exorcist and being terrified to watch it, but. It was an excuse to be alone with this girl that I had a crush on. So I probably blew through every horror movie I could just to have a chance to, you know, hang how out did with a
0: Puerto Rican chick. How did it go with her? Poorly. Ah, there you go then. It worked. <laughs> yep. How, like, how do you think horror, say, in 2020, 2018, compares the, to the like horror back in the 80s with the fog, Salem's Lot, and going back as far as the 70s as well with the omen rosemary's baby and like sort of things like that because i find today it's all about jump scares and i find all the independent stuff is a lot scarier a lot better because i did 365 days of horror a f- like a few years back so i did a watched a horror film every day but it got a bit tedious so i found a clause a loophole where i just watched like a five minute short on like youtube i mm-hmm. What I found with that is a lot of the independent directors are a lot better, a lot scarier. It's a lot better made, not maybe production-wise, but in the way the story's formulated. Uh, and someone said to me, it's because that's what the studio wants. People just want jump scares, and that's all it is. Like Insidious is a good film, but stuff like The Conjuring, as it goes on and on, it's just a jump scare. There's no like good monologues like The Written the Exorcist. There's no good atmospherics. And even in The Exorcist, Jaws and films like that, there was things like, I mean, like the Jaws scene, it's like the beginning where she's flying about in the the water, that's a proper scream. How do you think horror films are compared now to back then? I mean, I had Fred Fred Vogel on about two weeks ago and I know you had Mordom on like Midnight Spook Show. Yes. I know that's the extreme with like that stuff like Bunny Game and things like that. But how do you think, old horror 80s and 70s compares to the horror we're getting now?
1: Well, I think you made a lot of good points. Uh, My number one thing is that practical effects will never, ever, ever (coughs) um, be beaten by CGI. Uh, CGI just will never look quite right, and the people reacting to it will always kind of look like they're looking at the computer or they're looking at something that's not there. Um, I think practical effects are the number one thing you need. And, yes, there is, like, The Conjuring and these jump scare movies. I think uh, it chap- the, the the two new It movies had a few good ones but relied too heavily on it. Um, but then you have stuff like Hereditary, which is all atmosphere, other than, mm. you know, the smash cut. But that wasn't overdone. Um, as well as uh, Midsommar, I thought, a few... House of the Devil is all atmosphere. Um, and then back then, they had jump scares too. I mean, Exorcist 3 probably has the best jump scare of all
0: time. That has got the scariest scene in every, in any film I've ever seen. And all you've got to say is one scene and everyone knows what it is. Yeah, and it's absolutely. that shot. It's that shot of the corridor mm-hmm. and just that clapping of the nurse.
1: There's clarifies. nothing...
0: So you, I think
1: that's, But I think that's exactly what we're discussing, is movies... Before now, before the YouTube generation had patience, um, and that scene—I don't think that would fly today. That's a long scene. It's yeah, and that's just straight That takes a I, when you watch it, sit there and count it out. That takes a while. People don't have that kind of um, uh, patience. Uh, but the movies that do take their time and are all about creating a mood, I think, are the scariest ones. Because those are the ones you take home with you. Those are the mm. ones that you wake up at three in the morning thinking about.
0: Yeah, you you like mentioned a, a film. Is it the how the the Devil House was it? House of the Devil. House of, who and who did that? Well, it was that Ty West? Ty West. Yes. Yeah, he's he's a really good director. He's in like films I can't remember off the top of my head, but there was a few before he like did that one that would. Yeah, he did the
1: Innkeepers and. Um, That's it.
0: Cabin Sarah- Fever Two, which I think is really good. It is. It's um, like got the funny stone of cop in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got Sarah Paxson in like the innkeepers, and I showed yeah. the innkeepers to like I've like I've like got two good friends, and I showed it to them, and they weren't impressed. And I was like, "How can you not be? This is a classic horror story. It's a classic ghost story. It's got everything in it, but because it didn't have that scary looking thing to it, yeah,
1: they
0: didn't really like it. It it, it, it and, like had comedy. It had the dopey people who didn't know what really was doing. It had the cute little blonde girl in. It had the geek, and it had a food bits in it, and it had the serious woman in it. it. Was you know really good. Yeah, and I agree. They
1: like it's a Phenomenal it. filmmaker, and I think just certain people, and we might be the age cutoff, are um, never gonna have the patience. Like it's for YouTube. I, it's there's a reason it's gonna be the YouTube generation after us. The, um, they're never going to watch anything more than a few minutes.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's another actor, <clears throat> actor and film director, that's good. Um, I just had his name and it's gone. He did a homage to Cannibal Holocaust, The Green Inferno. What's his name? Um, Eli Roth, yeah. He's like, stuff comes, but obviously he did Hostel and he's a massive fan of Cannibal Holocaust, and that's one of my favourite films. It's, like, one of the first found footage films. Um, he's a good producer but i think these other ones are by director and actor but i think these other people are trying too hard to scare people and it's like that's what i found with with the new it films i just thought it was too hard They to tried to make the clown too scarier where tim curry he and he's a strange person in general just out outside of the film he's you know we did horror, like horror horror rocky picture show and he played a normal clown, but that scene in like the library where like he like was up top is one of the He's best ringing scenes. the bell. Yeah.
1: He's the- got the <sighs> noisemaker, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Brilliant scene. Absolutely brilliant. And you just don't get that now. It's like you'd rather have walking out the lift, going through a corridor, you know, with a touch and maybe seeing a mannequin move out the corner of the eye. It's all set up and it's all contrived to It's like scare. sitting
1: down through a haunted
0: house um it's all pop scares yeah yeah cheap it's yeah it's just cheap and nasty it's got (coughs) sorry and it's got nothing about it is where the people who seem to be making the good horror films are the ones who were based and got a background in horror and grew up with it and i'm not saying everyone's like that but i'm you know like i mean it's the conjuring coming out another film and it's all these films are getting remade as well you've got the evil dead getting remade and i was really looking forward to that film and it was crap i just didn't like it at all i just you thought know, he- they'll
1: keep making conjurings until uh the money runs out but uh i just and it's so funny because supposedly the warrens the the family that those movies are based on were real con artists so i guess it kind of is fitting that their legacy is a series of um
0: worsening films I yeah I like I've heard that I've uh, like there's a good book by Stoke Hunt called a Ouija and like sort of like sort of there and that but I've heard that from a few people like, that do a bit of a con yeah, I think even other
1: ghost hunters
0: don't like the Warrens no no definitely not how how's it how's covid affecting trauma filmmaking and just filmmaking in like general well the real motherfucker was that we pretty
1: much had our new movie ready Um, Return to Newcomb High took a very long time to finish. But this new one that we just finished, Shakespeare's Shitstorm, uh, we got done in like two years, which for us is very good. And uh, we were supposed to have a series of premieres. Now we're doing online premieres. So we just did the Fantasia Film Festival online, where people like buy a ticket to watch online. And then we did like a virtual panel. Um, But I mean, the one thing that's been really cool is that drive-ins are back. Mm. So, like, I just did a full weekend of trauma movies in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania in the woods at a giant drive-in theater that was, like, the size of five football fields. And it was, it was like, 500 cars. Um, and now we're going to be showing um, a series of trauma movies in New York at a drive-in theater uh, all this month. So yes. um, that's cool. I mean, it sucks that... There might just not be movies for a while, like, going to the
0: movies. Do, do th- yeah, do, do, do you think, paradoxically, it's going to help the film industry? Because, obviously, Cineworld shut in, in the, like, the UK, a lot of films are being put on hold. Do, do you think this will give the ump for independent filmmakers to, like, produce their own stuff and just bang it on YouTube and to just get their names turns, out it there? it
1: levels the playing field. Because I'm, and to be honest, I apologize. I'm not sure how it works in other countries, but the owners of the big movie chains here also make the movies. Um, They have stock in that. So it will be almost like a deal like, hey, if you take, you need to take this shitty movie that we made if you want that Tom Hanks movie in a month. Um, But now, yeah, everything's going to go online. Um, I know they just announced that the new Wonder Woman is going to go direct to digital. And to me, that's like a tentpole film. That's something that a lot of people were waiting on to make a lot of money off of. So if they're going to dump that straight to digital, I would assume many films are going to, in the next few years, not hit theaters or be in theaters for a week and then go to digital at a high price. Uh, so hopefully – and we have a streaming service at Troma. Uh, so we're, we've been debuting new movies on that. Uh, it's called Watch uh, – excuse me. It's called trauma Now. Uh, it's uh, watch.trauma.com, and uh, hopefully we're going to be just premiering films through that for a while, as well as doing drive-ins
0: uh,
1: and anything else we could do.
0: I am like can see that's like the way going a bit um, like the Work Digital Network you're on for like podcasts. I like can see that happening with films and independents. I mean, it's good going to the cinema. My only gripe is you get some asshole who's, I've got the phone on, don't like, don't shut up and bloody rattling paper. Um, But I, but like, I can see a lot of people going to start putting them on as like you say, these pay services and also YouTube. Yeah, I agree. I think that's just going to be, unfortunately the
1: way that it's going to be for a while, but uh, it couldn't happen at a better time technologically because uh, TVs are so fucking cheap. You can get a, uh, I mean, I have a, I have a 60 something inch TV and if I'm sitting close enough to it, I might as well have gone to an independent theater.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How, like, how did you sp- go s- staying on the theme of independent things like that? How did you find the film Mordom? Cause as I said, I had Fred Vogel on. So it, if like, anyone wants to check yeah. that out, it was about two weeks ago. I know he's at the extreme side of horror, like the things like Bunny Game and like, You know, you've got the German side of horror, which is crazy. Then you've got guinea pig and things like that. The Japanese and that even gets crazier. But what did you think of of obviously still making techniques? Because I mean, like he's extreme and it's very, very extreme.
1: You know, I admire Fred a lot. Um, I think he's I think Fred's a genius Uh, and he's not afraid to make art. That's not for everybody. I would actually compare it to like um, everybody else has been playing The Stones and he was like, and he's like, what about death metal? Like, I, and it's just taken it to a point that's so gross and so um, uncomfortable, but it's fun. Like, like, uh, and when you know it's not real, you can take yourself out of it just enough to get through it. Uh, and his effects are, I mean, he went to that Savini school. Uh, he's a fucking brilliant filmmaker. And the fact that he can get some of those effects in those long takes, I think, is a
0: testament to, uh, what a smart effects person and director he is what would you say to the people who like say i mean he did the effects for made a set pieces made a set pieces is um one of the films that's only got a scene of the kid actually being shown being killed mm-hmm. when i like sort of people say well that's over the map i mean i'm not sure i've you've seen the, the like the film the bunny game mm-hmm. what do you think to things like that because like that's taking it one step beyond where sort of she had to sign the waiver to like get branded, have a rare shave and slapped about. So from like the cutie ones like Conjuring, then you've got Fred Vogels, then you've got The Bunny Game. Do you you think it's going to progress to something more? I mean, I don't mean to snuff films or like stuff like that, but do you think people will say, because like everyone says Serbian films are gross films, and it's like, it's a well-made film and I didn't find it that bad. The worst film I've seen, as I said to Fred, was Aftermath. And that was 20 minutes. And I just didn't like the way he was taking pictures and did all that. It it just didn't sit well for me. But that, for me, is a horrible film. And I thought, I'm not going to watch it again. I might have it in my collection, but I don't think I'll watch it again.
1: Um, I think that you don't know where the line is until you cross it. And that, uh, just like with comedy, you have to be willing to trip over it so that you know where it is and you can play on it. And, yeah, some things go a little far. But if it's with consenting adults um, and nobody gets hurt and it was done safely, I don't really give a fuck. Yeah. Uh, if, it, it, yeah if it's categorically offensive in thought, I don't care because I have the ability to not watch it uh, if it's something that would bother me. Uh, and I just feel like there should be... Like, there obviously is a line of... Um, and A lot of people would argue with Cannibal Holocaust with the animals.
0: But, saying that, wasn't... Y- y- you got but they cooked f- them. Yeah. You know, that was their food. And then you got Cannibal ferrets. but in a- Apocalypse Now, they set a goat on fire, but mm-hmm. that got okay because it was part of their ritual. But, yeah. I mean, I mean, the turtle scene is probably one of the grossest scenes you can ever find in a film on, on like kind of a holocaust. But also, the way it's made, it's just the rawness, the brutalness of it. And it's like... because
1: yeah, it looks like news footage. It does. Uh, and I'm sure, you know what, if you put somebody with a camera inside of a slaughterhouse for a day, you could make something much worse. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is what it is. And, and I, uh, I admire guys like Fred who are willing to hit that line and go a little past it so that
0: everybody else knows where that line is. What do you think to the films like um, the guinea pig series, when like Charlie Sheen obviously saw it and thought it was a real snuff film? I mean, I had them in my collection. I sold them because I was short of money and this and that. But for me, that's not enjoyable to watch. That's more of, I've seen it because I've heard about it and I I liked it in my collection. But it's not enjoyable for me to watch, say, compared to The Innkeepers, The Exorcist, or the bloody hangover, say something like that. I mean, I didn't get any of enjoyment. I like was watching it. So I could say I've just seen it for me, particularly flower of flesh and blood.
1: The enjoyment is going, how did they do it? Yeah. It's watching it, trying to figure out how they got the shot so good, how they made it look so real. Um, I think that's what a lot of people who like gory movies like is they're putting themselves behind the camera they're putting themselves on set going how was this accomplished and that to me is the impressive thing about like um so for instance i would say uh, so a movie i really like is a uh, hatchet uh the adam green uh slasher and there's a phenomenal shot in it that is a guy getting his uh, jaw ripped apart his whole head ripped in half yeah and it's a 360 shot So it starts in front of him, goes all the way around, behind the killer, back around, back to front, and now his head's in half. obviously, they cut when they're behind the killer, and there's like that Hitchcock hidden cut. But to me, that's the fascinating part of that effect. Not, holy shit, look how brutal it is. Holy shit, how did they get that to look like it was
0: one shot? Seamless. So, yeah, do like, you find that you watch films in, like, a different way to, say, someone else who doesn't or isn't in the film world? Because you just give a prime example there. And, like, I've been watching horror films now for ages, so I'd like to watch horror film a couple of times to just watch it for what it is, then say, oh, there is cool stuff in there because it picks up. I mean, the last horror film I saw that was good, and it was the second babysitter. I don't, obviously, I've been, seen, seen the second... Yet. No, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's just, it's just tongue-in-cheek horror, and it's just a funny, easy-watch film.
1: Yeah, I definitely watch things maybe with a little more of a critical eye, uh, just because I'm trying to figure out how they did some stuff, or I'm trying to figure out how they got that. Like, I know for a fact, when I watch a movie that's got a lot of animals or a lot of kids, I'm stressed out because I'm going, God, that set must have sucked. Like, it must have <laughs> just been... A nightmare for these poor ADs. Rankling. They say you don't want to work with kids and animals. Uh, it just must have been a nightmare every day. So I do probably watch stuff a little more um, with the uh, production in mind. And I'm trying to figure out how they did that, how they got that permit, how they got that shot. But at the same time, like I also like um, when movie theaters were still a thing. And there was a movie I really wanted to see, a movie I was really excited about. I would like to see it twice and I would go early in the afternoon so I could see it without a bunch of jerk offs talking through it and fucking around. And then I would like to go see it at 10 o'clock at night and more watch the audience react to it. Uh, Cause that to me is just as interesting is watching the people watch it. And that's yeah. been my favorite thing about making movies is I never, you know, I've seen the movie a hundred fucking times. I don't, I don't have to watch it. If anything, I set up in the side of the theater, and I love watching people
0: watch movies I've made. Yeah. The the, what what um, sort of reactions do you get from them all? Um. So
1: I am naked a lot in Return to Nukem High Volume Two, like for way (laughs) too long. And and, uh, people that love trauma love it because we have a history of naked people. But there's people that have not been prepared for it, and to watch somebody out. So fun when I'm sitting there, especially if they have to walk by me to get out of a thing that I made is really funny. And we had one screening at a con and I don't think some of the people there knew what a trauma movie was. And a bunch of us with uh, the trauma team were there and it was late at night and let's say we had all had a few cocktails and people started walking out of the movie. But um, at some point, we just started counting. So every time somebody got up to walk out, we would all just be drunk in the theater going, three, <laughs> four. And
0: we were doing it like the count <clears> on <throat> Street. It was really fun. How do you think the way horror in general's going? We've talked about it how is it being affected from, like, the case, but it seems to be it had practical effects, CGI, now a lot of films are going back to practical effects again. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot more places are using um, k and effects and all these brilliant effects
1: houses. I think they're recognizing the value of practical effects. I think Tarantino really helped with that. Um, and yeah, like I said, Midsommar, all practical effects, fucking gross.
0: That's gross, a good gross, film. gross. Good film where the jump off the end and the, and the yeah. hammer.
1: Yeah, really impressive effects and slow. Really took its time. Um, and and I think there'll be more stuff like that. And even, like, some of the stuff Shudder's been putting up, which can be hit or miss. Uh, and it's not necessarily gore like that. Well, they actually just put up a movie called The Furies, I think. They have great gore in it. But they just put up one called uh, Host, And it's like a 57-minute um it's all on zoom and it's girls having a seance
0: and uh mm. like a found footage can I be honest with you I loved it it was scary I do like the odd found footage well no I, I like, do like the found footage film have you seen the film by um god um Bob Goldthwaite about Bigfoot Is yes it the, very good. yeah really yeah. good I like went through a phrase of like watching the Bigfoot films and like that was really good Again, it's not what I expected. I am expected it to be, but it's, but it's not. You don't see much. It's all again, all atmospheric. You might get catch a glimpse here or there, but the way it is, you don't see a full on face or. And much I like don't that.
1: think you need to. The scariest parts of Jaws are not the shark. Um, that is a, a unfortunate. Uh, Especially with, like, uh, the Asylum films, the sci-fi channel movies, mm-hmm. those movies have a uh, format that's literally – the script is formatted for commercial breaks. So in those movies, you need to see the monster before the first commercial break so that people don't change the channel. All right. And that, that's why all those movies fucking suck because I don't want to see the monster – Unless it's something really cool and that I don't see him again for an hour. I don't want to see the monster until the end because, like, it's like having sex with a girl and you come first and then fuck her for an hour. That's
0: not the order you want to do those things in. <laughs> Definitely not, no. Uh, so what projects have like, you got going on? I mean, I take it you like busy doing your podcast still, but is there anything in the pipeline for like films you're making or anything you want to do? Uh we're still um doing screenings of Shakespeare
1: Shitstorm. I just shot a um small part I did two days on a very fun sound footage movie called The Secret of Cuck Island. Uh that a bunch of kids from Trauma worked on. Uh and it's very, very over the top and silly like espionage movie. With a lot of gore and gross out effects. As well as, yeah, I've got a real-ass podcast Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Midnight Spook Show. Hopefully we're going to start doing live episodes when we can. I'm trying to put a marathon together where I have to stay up all night and watch movies with fan interaction. As well as I actually am on um, the, uh, the wrestling show. I'm on Catalyst Wrestling. I'm a character on there. As well as uh, I'm on uh, the creative side as well. So I've been a segment producer for their uh, backstage interviews. And we just taped about a month of TV. And uh, in a few weeks, we're going to tape an- uh, another month's
0: worth. Wow. Super busy, then. Yeah. Super busy. Do like, you still do it with your comedy stand-up or anything like that? Or has that sort of took a hit through, like, this COVID stuff? You know, I do get up. Um, they
1: have been doing outdoor shows, I can see winter becoming a kind of a dry zone for uh, stand-up because most of the venues have been having us work outdoors, but I do open up for the guy I do realize podcast with uh, my good friend, Louis J Gomez takes me out on the road with him. And I've done a number of outdoor shows with him, either outside comedy clubs or some places are uh, converting parking lots into comedy clubs. And um, yeah, I mean, everybody's getting out there as
0: much as they can. Yeah, I know Sam Tripley's doing one over Zoom. Or oh, like, did I imagine that, or is he doing one virtually? A few people are doing it virtually. I'm, I'm.
1: Uh, that's for a certain kind of comic. I'm very much like uh, a storyteller comic, so it's hard enough to keep people's attention without them <laughs> already being home.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, but every, you know, everybody's doing their own thing. And uh, so far, I have to say, all the shows uh, that me and my friends have been doing. The audience is like super appreciative because they're so excited to get out of the house. Yeah, uh, they're so excited to go to anything that you're just getting. Um, you're getting a fully appreciative, good audience. The only thing is, people haven't been out of the house for so long that they forgot how to like uh, not get wasted. <laughs> so uh, a few times it shows people are just jerked out of their
0: minds because it's the first time they've gone out in six months. Yeah, it's crazy times we're living in, crazy, crazy times, and I, I really don't know where it's going to go or how it's going to end, but we've just got to keep doing the podcast, and you've got to keep doing the filmmaking.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll keep uh, – I mean, I put out right now six hours of content a week, so uh, it keeps me real busy, and it keeps me in people's heads,
0: so that's all I care about. That's it. So if people wanted to see you, or find you – do you want to tell them where to find you? I'll like, put it in the description yeah. below. Absolutely. The easiest way is Instagram at Zach is not
1: funny at ZAC is not funny. And just check out all the shows. Uh, Real ass podcast, Zach Amico's midnight spook show and catalyst wrestling.
0: I will put them all in the description. Thanks for coming on. I know you're super busy and it took us a time to get this um, time sorted because of the time difference UK and the US and that, but we cracked it in the end. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Cheers for that, Zach. You take care, buddy. Take care. Cheers, bud. Bye bye. Bye bye. The Biscuits Podcast.